1: On today's episode of The Glue, guys, we're just going to clean up. We are Matt Damon and Goodwill Hunting. We are the janitors here. We're just going to clean up after what just happened. Uh, If you notice that Brian and I didn't pod directly after game four because... Because
2: we're brilliant janitors. We're genius level janitors.
1: (laughs) We know that there'd be more dirt that would be flying out of Mm -hmm. the trash heap that is the Nets, and we have gotten that dirt, so we're going to talk Kyrie Irving running the franchise, Kevin Durant on Steve Nash, Steve Nash's future with the team, and... Of course, Ben Simmons and his back. Welcome back to The Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say Ryan. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BKGlueGuys. That's daily.com. The Athletic. Get yourself behind the paywall. Theathletic.com slash glue guys. subsidiary, Yeah. The New York Times. Give Ryan. it to me, Michael. The Nets. Are
2: vacationing. Woo! Yeah. If you if like peanut
1: Pina
2: Pina <laughs> <that> <laughs> Hey, um Mike, I feel Getting okay. You know what in the rain. I've after you know, we didn't like we said in the intro, we didn't pod. Um strategically didn't pod, you know, because we already did our first like mega downtrodden, down bad big sag uh podcast last
1: week. Which I just want to say uh it was one Huge. of our most listened to episodes. Huge numbers. Ever, yeah, and we appreciate it. I, but I also know that people don't always want us to be sad. Uh, but we were authentically sad I'm after not, Game Three. I'm
2: not sad anymore, Mike. You know what? It feels like. Oh, you I feel know, great. I know we're in Cancun, <laughs> drinking pina coladas. It feels like home. It feels like home to me. It feels like you know the <laughs> bad things happening to the Nets. That's that's what I know. That's what that's what I was born into. So you know, this feels after two days. It's like you know what? It's just like I'm. A, it's just back to being an old fashioned Nets fan, baby. Let's go, fire it up. You were born to be a
1: geek. That's if right. you know what I mean. Yeah not naming the movie where that's Don't from. Name it. Um, Brian, Brian, if you're not for the YouTube hey, YouTube, we got over a thousand subscribers on YouTube. God bless you hey, for subscribing. Everyone else should jump in. We have all of our shows plus additional fun content made by our video content coordinator. Des Lombardo. Big uh, Brian has some delicious-looking pina coladas uh, behind him. I have an uh, image of a Cancun. Uh, we're off-season vibes, baby. Hey, Huge. no worries. No worries. Nets, Nets are the, the, the championship favorites going into next year, in my <laughs> mind. So I'm not worried about that. I do, I do
2: feel like, you know, Kyrie Irving right now, it's like school's out for summer. He's like, I'm. thank God, I'm done. I'm done with this for now. You know, everyone's just, you know, we're all checked out on, on <laughs> basketball and on life in various states, Mike, depending uh, on where you're at.
1: Let me. Let me do this quick uh checked out when game what when in the season was Kyrie Irving checked out October I think I, think to st- I
2: believe to start the season Mike I believe <laughs> kevin durant um i it, it happened very late, but it happened in um no i don't think he actually ever checked out, but like that last series was um i i've it actually for the first time it it cast some level of doubt in my mind about like oh oh my gosh, like. Um, Kevin Durant's like supposed to be the best player in the world, and he does he does not look like the he doesn't look he doesn't look better than Jason Tatum right now. I'll tell you that right now.
1: Yes, and Steve Nash checked out ever,
2: never checked in, baby. Come on, out to
1: lunch. <laughs> <laughs> what is the Hotel California? You can <laughs> yeah, yeah. check in, but you never leave. I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry, some, yeah. Um, what a dad joke. Just Huge. to include the Eagles, yeah. So we're there's a lot to talk about with this team. I mean, sort of in the wreckage of Game Four. It was really if you hated the Nets, this was peak uh sort of your time. Yeah. It was for the freaks and geeks out there. And honestly, really shout out to the, the Celtics
2: fans who jumped into the like brigaded the YouTube chat last. I mean, we love you guys. I mean, and honestly, like we are holding our L as as solidly with as firm a grip as anyone can possibly hold an L. Like there's just no way to squirm out of this. So, like, I get it. You know, you gotta you gotta lay it on and that's what I would do if I were in your position. So, you know, that's the way that's the way the world works, Mike.
1: And if we were not authentic podcasters, because that's what we are. We're, we're authentic as could be. Um, we are certified fresh. Um, if I was inauthentic, I would do the whole. The series was only decided by 18 points. A four, you know, it's the closest sweep in NBA history. If the Nets had only closed out game one, the entire sort of fabric, and the story of the series would have looked completely differently. But if I'm being honest with myself, actually watching the games. And not just thinking about margin of victory. The Nets did not deserve to win the series. Uh, in fact, it was the Celtics who uh, Temple of Doom them and ripped out their hearts mm. continually. The Celtics look so much more structured. I mean, the thing is that team has been playing together for a while, even though they have a new coach in there. Um, the t- even though the Celtics didn't look good to, to start the year. you know, they they A lot of people had thought they would be a top three team in the East anyways to begin. I remember you and I. It was like after like the third week of the season, we had like we went in on the Celtics, yeah. saying how awful, like oh my god, I'm so happy yeah, we, that they suck, and I, I think that's what spurred them to what yeah. happened in this first round. We, we went
2: too hard. We had a
1: we we played ourselves,
2: Mike, as they say.
1: Before we put this series to bed, what the one thing I do want to ask is like I brought up that margin of victory thing. If on the scale of a very close series to in a complete embarrassment. In that spectrum, where do you put it? Are you closer to embarrassment, or are you closer to, you know, it was a toss-up, guys. Yeah, it it was a couple of bouncing balls. Either way, it was Um, as
2: as decisive a waxing as you could possibly get with this (laughs) amount of talent on the team. Like this is like through sheer talent alone, we could we could make these games somewhat close. Like to close out the game, just make our, you know, impotent last run at, at keeping it close. But like throughout the entirety of this series, every time I would look at the scoreboard, the score would just vacillate between us being down four to us being down 11. It just like, it was yes. always in that range. And, you know, the thing with that happened for the Celtics, which, you know, sucks and is is good for them, bad for us, is that like Tatum really did become a heartbreak kid gunner like he just makes like a, a lot of really hard shots and it's like every tempo shot he strokes like he auto stroke anytime where there's like a change in the wind it, it good or bad he'll he stops bleeding and he adds to bloodletting when when necessary so he's like uh he's really good it just happened for him he's he's that guy for sure 100 yeah that'd, that'd be. be
1: um and you talked about kevin durant you know, I think we need like a whole eight-part series on Kevin Durant this off-season because we're going to have a lot of fun off-season content for you all, which is why you should subscribe to the YouTube, subscribe to the podcast if you're just listening to us for the first time. Don't I miss guess. don't miss it. Um you brought up maybe it altered your thinking on Kevin Durant's sort of what he will provide for this team. Do you actually think that? Like do you think something tangibly changed in the ceiling of Kevin Durant? In what you saw in this series, over what you expected to see. So, uh,
2: this is. I think what it did is you, we've talked often talked about this um, the the religion of bucket getting that KD uh, and uh, and Kyrie ascribe to, and it's it's bucket a glorious Eddie. it's a glorious religion, and um, you know it's pure it's, it's the a, it's, a pure, it's, the it's pure purest of all the religions. But the thing is, it's like when the team is is molded in. You know, in that ideology, you start to really um, get excited for or just like basically you're you, you look for hard shots. It's like the artistry of the heart of the difficult shot becomes something that's like, yeah, we're just making these like incredibly hard shots. Look at these bucket getters just like against all odds, like making hard shots. And and then you play a, a team like uh, the Celtics, who just, you know, they don't have I mean, they've won good offensive they have Tatum, a great offensive player. And then a lot of like very, you know, above average offensive players and they get a lot of easy buckets and it's like, oh, wait, like actually you should be optimizing for easier buckets that that would be better to win the game. It's it's way cooler looking the religion of, of bucket getting and hitting incredibly hard, fading, falling, you know, everything shots with double coverage and all that stuff. Um, so like this team has been molded in. The bucket getting religion, I think. You know, we we really get off on making hard shots. And I would like for I hope that this has been a little bit of reckoning on that ideology a little bit. That like we, <laughs> okay. we what? It's not. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know, but like how can you how can you ignore this is this goes into this like quote that I think that we need to really dissect I'm sure everybody else has has given it some some time, but um it goes the into Kyrie quote. because you want
1: me to pull it up right now? Is is
2: it premature? I I feel like it bleeds neatly into this. My extension, man, I I don't really plan on going anywhere. So, you know, this is, uh, like I said, this is added motivation for our franchise to be um, at the top of the league uh, for the next few years. And, um, you know, I'm just looking forward to the summer and just building with our guys here.
1: Just to follow up on that real quickly, you mentioned a few weeks ago you don't want to leave Kevin. You're going to be with him. Do you see you guys
2: together for the long haul here? I mean, I think I kind of answered that, you know, the last one, (laughs) my last uh, answer, but um, when I say I'm I'm here with Kev, I think that it really entails us you know managing this franchise together Eesh. alongside Joe and that's and Sean and um just our our group of family members that we have in in, in our locker room and our in our organization you know so yeah you know for for someone who's like so uh quick to like dump on media people he goes into like marketing talk really quick he's like you know the family the family that we have it's like you know that's like like a toxic corporate <laughs> you know environment thing. You know we're all a family here. Um but I am managing this thing into the ground. And so I'm
1: going to cut your pay by 20% yeah. and take away paid parental leave yeah. uh very quickly. Yeah. Um so that so that is post game and game 4. This is the nets sort of reckoning. We talk about reckonings. Uh sort of what what happened with the series? Uh, not a lot of emotion in terms of um sort of it, they knew this was coming right? It, they weren't surprised. So they kind of maybe knew and anticipated some of these questions. A lot of people on Twitter latched on to what Kyrie said, and you just heard it there straight from his mouth. Kevin, I, along with Joe <laughs> and Sean, are going to manage this franchise going forward. Now, a lot of people on Twitter, that was the quote that they got. And they were like, where's Steve Nash? You know, Steve Nash's name. Kyrie, again, you know, if if he's going to go to the Buddy Egan School of PR, um, the first thing he should learn is not to name names Don't because name names. you're going to leave some name out. He did say in that quote, you heard it, the, our Nets family or the, you know the our extended family. And I guess Steve Nash is part of that until the divorce comes, to, until the papers are served. Um, let me ask you this. How does it make you feel that Kyrie Irving's running the franchise, Brian? Yeah. What's... The,
2: the the part of that that's like so alarming is the total lack of introspection um you know like ostensibly they have been managing the team this season in fact they've been in you know high uh, high priority leadership positions the entirety of their stay here and they've they've we are now at the point where uh reality has is meeting your managerial expertise in the middle here and it's resulted in a first round sweep against um a team that yeah. Anyways, waxed you. So, um, that is like you, you, it's, it's a, it's a subject you don't want to get into for him. Like You shouldn't want to be like, yeah, I'm con- going to continue to manage this thing, uh, into the ground because the results just now of you managing it were quite bad. So it's just like, it's a bury the lead type of thing. you want to bury that lead. Um, so anyways, it's alarming for a lot of reasons. It just It just belies a lack of understanding of what went on this season for me. It's And, and, it, and it means that it's going to be endemic and it's going to continue on into the foreseeable future, Mike. And that's why we're drinking pina coladas, baby, because that's, <laughs> you know, not my problem.
1: Um, I'm trying to look for the other Kyrie quote, which is the one you may have um, referenced. Uh, this is what he said. I don't know if, it, if after game three he first addressed it or game four, but this is after game four. Kyrie Irving, says, Kyrie Irving says he thinks, quote, it's important when you can start to build as a team in October. Adds that it's important that everyone has each other's backs. There are a few quotes like this from Kyrie Irving, and he did somewhat address, there's other ones where he kind of addressed his own role in the lack of team building that happened in October. This will be the one sort of like angry guy segment mm-hmm. of the thing. You you know, everyone knows what what I'm about to say. He made a choice not to be there, right? Like, he he made a choice not to get the vaccine, which meant that he was not going to be there at the beginning of the season, which led to James Harden not wanting to be here, which led to the Ben Simmons trade, which is looking worse and worse by every tweet of Sham Sharania and Jake Fisher and Adrian Wojnarowski, right? So when the book of this team, this dynasty that almost... Unless if they... Unless if the management of Kyrie Irving dramatically changes around the team, you know, this is heading towards possibly one of the, one of the greatest sort of lost dynasties in NBA history. Um, no team this talented has been this bad so far in the playoffs. Um, so, hey, w- w- what a great moment. Um, now, I do want to ask you to, te- to test the veracity of Kyrie's tweet or his, his comment. Do you think the Nets view him as a co partner with Kevin Durant as quote unquote running the organization, or do you think they there's a tier that Kevin Durant is the S tier and the tier below is Kyrie Irving?
2: I think right now the situation that they might be in, and this is me just you know reading way between the lines. You know, there's there's a couple of uh, reckonings going on here, right? Like um, the extent to which the Steve Nash hire. Um, can be attributed to Kevin Durant is unknowable, right? But there's a lot of hearsay about it being a pretty direct one-to-one, like KD pretty much advocated for the Steve Nash hire. Um, and I think like when we look at the Steve Nash hire, it's again, we, we've we attributed this I think correctly to the like, he's like a good, a function, high functioning, yes, man, a good politician, <laughs> but he's there ultimately to placate the will of the star players on the team. Um nice. And now we're in a position where, if if Kevin Durant specifically, and to a lesser extent Kyrie, uh, wants to be as vocal about this next hire. And it continues to be yet another, like, you know, one of these sort of Tyrone Liu, you know, kind of a notorious politician, uh, not to say that Tyrone Liu is like, uh, you know, yeah, Steve Nash.
1: Would, I would have been very happy with. Yeah,
2: I, I, but he has like has has had that moniker in the past, whatever. He's kind of transcended past it now. But uh, for a time, he had a kind of a Steve Nash, like I'm just here to make sure LeBron James is happy, sort of, mm-hmm. you know, that was his messaging. But um, if there's I don't know what other versions of that are out there, like what other X player turned coach? I'm sure there's plenty. You know, you go a lot of different directions with that. Um, if we get another one of those hires, I'll be very concerned about the future because it means that um, Kevin Durant either through like legitimate means of just being like, you know, I've earned the respect of, you know, decision making. This one didn't work out, but like that doesn't mean I don't get to have another – vote going forward. It could be that they honestly respect his opinion, or it could just mean that they're being held hostage by the star power on this team and, and fear um, their wrath. If they put in a, a coach or any other managerial position who might actually push back on any of their, many demands that happen over the course of a season. So that's the, the, the thing is like Kevin Durant doesn't actually make a lot of demands. Kyrie is the person that makes lots of demands of people and he has less <laughs> like governing power in this, in this structure, which is just, again, this interesting situation, but it's just because like Kevin has hitched his wagon to Kyrie for who knows what reason, but I do think it, we know the reason, the religion, the, of religion of, the religion, it's of
1: the Buckingham. religion of getting. It's, it's, Kevin Durant is such and I mean this as like a compliment and a curse. He is such praise at the altar of Bucket getting. He so values the a, a player's ability to hit a shot that like a guy like Kyrie, like I'm sure Kyrie's like pretty fun to be around in person maybe. I don't know. It seems like people really like him. Like I'm, in person. I'm
2: so, dude, I'm so tired of this. You know what it takes to have people like like publicly like shit on you? Dislike <laughs> you? Yeah.
1: It takes a lot. Yeah. It takes a lot. Like I work with a lot of people at the Athletic and honestly, there's not there's really no one I dislike. Uh, let's hear like, it,
2: Mike. Air it out. Air yeah, out that like, dirty laundry. Here. Let me get
1: the let me get the slack out real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but it's so but Kevin Durant is so blinded by skill that he he said it before like when he when Kyrie and him first joined the team and people were asking about like Remember, because coming off of Kyrie leaving Boston, I don't know if people remember, was pretty dramatic. He had told Boston fans that he was going to be there long term. And then slowly over that season he became more and more distant to where he had another ugly playoff series against the Bucs, which leads to him coming to Brooklyn. And so there was all all these questions when they signed of like what are, you know, why would you want to play with Kyrie Irving essentially? And Durant says Kyrie's an artist. And with an artist, you have to let them do the thing that they do and kind of leave them alone.
2: That's like like Putin says, you know, sometimes artists, they wake up in a good mood and they paint. You know, that's the – Does Putin say that? That was a Putin thing. He's talking about hackers. He's like, hackers are like artists. Sometimes (laughs) sometimes they wake up in a good mood and they paint.
1: (laughs) Well, that's a pretty good quote It's pretty good, right? Yeah, that's pretty good. Good for him. Um, (laughs) But so Kevin Durant, this is who he is. Like he values the bucket getting. There was a moment in game four – it was at the end of the game when the Nets were trying to, you know, make that comeback. And we talked about sort of the difficulty of shots. Uh, Kyrie is driving to the bucket, and he does the thing that James Harden did a, does a thousand times a game. He drove to the bucket and flung his head back as if he got fouled and then puts up a layup. Now, he didn't get the call, but, like, it stood out to me in that moment because him and Durant so rarely try to get fouled. They so rarely act like they do get fouled. I mean, Durant does it more than Kyrie. Kyrie, it's his mission not to. Um, they are both. They pray at the altar of bucket getting. And you know, people ask why would Kevin Durant hitch his wagon to Kyrie? It's because he he sees and respects that game, and he believes that having those two together with actual real role players around them will equal a championship, but that's at least what he believed going into Brooklyn. I wonder what it means going out. You brought up coaching, okay? And I immediately after the series, it was my thought that, like, hey, Steve Nash is done. You don't get swept in the first round of the playoffs with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, regardless of the, the circumstances, and get to come back and be head coach in the NBA. You know, it's a very rare circumstance. But, of course, Kevin Durant and Steve Nash were asked about this. This is Kevin Durant with a pretty great reaction when he's asked about the, the question itself.
2: Just to be clear, do you think that Steve is still the right guy to lead this group?
1: I mean, come on, man. Like, yeah, like Steve has been dealt a crazy hand the last two years. Like, he' been had to deal with so much stuff as a head coach, first time coach, and trades, injuries, you know, COVID. Just a lot of stuff he had to deal with, you know. I'm proud of this focus and his passion for us, and um, you know we all, you know, continue to keep developing over the summer and see what happens. So that's what, and they asked Steve Nash if he wanted to be back, and he says, "Yeah, I love coaching and all this stuff." You do you heard the quotes? Does it change your opinion of what may happen? With, so my opinion is still that Steve Nash is going to be fired. At some point, he's going to be let go because I don't think it just in the history of the NBA, you don't get to survive a sweep in the first round. Guys like Doc Rivers are fired. You know, Doc lost being up three one, which is a little bit different. It's almost worse losing three one than losing in a sweep. But um, I, you know, I think Steve Nash is gone. What do you Mm -hmm. think?
2: I, I, pina yeah, I'm just thinking about those pina coladas.
1: Um, I, yeah, I mean, it
2: seems like an amicable split is one of those things that are, that are very much on the table. Um, whatever. I don't know. I mean, like it, if I were Steve Nash, I would leave <laughs> like, why? he's got a million kids. What, what is he, what is he doing out here struggling like this on a night to night <laughs> basis? <laughs> go to, go have a pina colada. Um, I see him by the way, all the time, the neighbor, he's run. he runs like a maniac. Okay. That's a, he keeps it very trim. Just like run a constantly. Maybe you should running.
1: be crunching film. Yeah, you know what be. I want? I want Fat Steve Nash. Yeah, I want. You know how Steve, Colin? Sp- uh, you didn't see the new Batman movie, but Colin Farrell plays the Penguin, and they put a bunch of prosthetic makeup on him to make him. He actually looks like Charles Grodin. Mm. You know the actor Charles Grodin? Sure. Um, he was in Midnight Run. He look Fat Colin Farrell equals. Oh, this is for Des Lombardo, Charles Grodin. I want Steve Nash to get. Like a plump Stan Van Gundy, because that means I know that he's crunching tape. I don't want him to be fit. Mm. I want him to be, I don't want him running around that Tony part of Brooklyn of which you live, the elite area of Brooklyn where Brian lives doxed. and his empire. Incredibly doxed. Um, I want, I want, I want, a, I want, fat, I want Steve Nash to come back like fat Chris Hemsworth in Endgame. Marvel's Endgame, you know?
2: All I'm thinking about now is, like, is it appropriate to have actors wear fat suits anymore? You know, like, are we, you know, (laughs) because if you're an obese actor, like, where are are your parts? You know, where are your parts coming from?
1: Should they be authentically fat? I think so.
2: If you're an overweight actor, can you wear a skinny suit? You know, no, you're just, you're getting, you know, pushed (laughs) further and further into the margins.
1: There's only so many roles Paul Giamatti can play, man. (laughs) There's like,
2: he'd be a great penguin though. They missed out. He
1: He was he was Rhino in the very well forgotten Amazing Spider Man. Is that true? uh, Andrew, I'm pretty sure I've never seen the movie. Paul (laughs) Giamatti. I'm pretty sure Paul Giamatti played a character named Rhino in uh, Andrew Garfield's Spider Man movie. One of them,
2: who like ostensibly was like an action person, like he did active things. He wasn't just a slovenly like, <laughs> just Stay like a, a nebbish – Just wearing a wig
1: and yelling at people?
2: <laughs> a nebbish comic um. book enthusiast who <laughs> happened to be named <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um Sorry. I'm just thinking of like – I'm thinking of sideways. and Yeah. yeah, I, so, I, I, yeah classic. Yeah. yeah. It always makes me laugh. Um, they, yeah. So, you know, there's not a loud declaration. I, I just don't think you get to survive a sweep. You don't, he, he hasn't done anything to deserve to survive a sweep. The idea of Steve Nash. So like the only thing that's keeping him alive, you know what Kevin Durant referenced there and Durant isn't, he hasn't, I'm guarantee has not like, of course he wouldn't say yes, Steve should be fired in that press conference. The thing that Kevin Durant referenced within that is the thing that we continually reference as the only good thing, Steve Nash, we know that he does it's personality and passion, right? Like he, he must be a nice guy. Got they it. must really like playing for him in that way.
2: This is the problem, with our team. We got a lot of nice guys. Everyone likes.
1: We get a lot. Of, a lot of, everyone's just glad handing, but also everyone hates them. Yeah,
2: I think. That,
1: <laughs> I think we get we get like a team of mean girls is what we got, man. Um, and I just think so. Kevin Durant early in his career had Scott Brooks, and Kevin Durant defended Scott Brooks for years and years and years. Scott Brooks used to be the poster boy for like inefficient coaching, mm-hmm. right? I do think part of Kevin Durant's DNA, even though we know what happened with Kenny Atkinson, is like, he's not, he's not like LeBron. LeBron looks at coaches and blames them. I think Kevin Durant looks at coaches and thinks, oh, you know, they're trying, right? <laughs> they're trying to do the best job that they can. I just go back to the fact that it doesn't feel like we gain any tangible advantage by having Steve Nash as our coach. There's no sort of strategic advantage. There's no substitution advantage. There's no timeout advantage. From Steve Nash and it feels like even though you know I've joked about coach K I'm I'm throwing the coach K hat out there I just want to be first out there for when it happens people have brought out Jay Wright um even so I would like Frank Vogel <laughs> like honestly feels pretty good to me because I know at least with Frank Vogel like I'm going to get some defensive structure and He's obviously won a championship, but he's been a good coach in the NBA. Like, give me something that I know I can like attach myself to, as opposed to Steve Nash, where it's just like, "Hey, he's a great guy," you know. Hey, he's a sweetheart of a gentleman. That uh, he's a, he's the Colin Firth of coaching. You know what I mean? Just like a solid rom com lead. You know, yeah. not offensive. <clears throat> He, no, I, I want someone
2: surly with an, an expansive wine cellar,
1: Mike. I, I want the want, Gene Hackman. Uh, oh, you want it. No,
2: no, I don't. I'm just, but I'm just saying, like those, those type of those elements to a personality. It's what we need a little bit right now. We need people who are willing to get in a fight about things not going well. That's what yeah. I would like. That's what I would well,
1: like. I brought up Jeff Van Gundy as like the guy what Jeff Van Gundy was like with the Knicks, but like you, this guy. The, the problem with Steve Nash is that like. Nothing feels pressing for him. He's very much into process, and he is such a smart sort of basketball person that I think he even realizes, like, how much structure could I really provide these guys? We should focus on getting them comfortable. Where you need, like, a grinder who, yeah, doesn't you don't want him to piss off the star players, but you need someone who, like, just sweats every night thinking about the way that they can improve this team. Steve Nash feels like more of, like, you know, It it just that he's like kind of like a camp counselor Mm -hmm. a little bit, a little camp counselor. Anyways, let's do this quick break coming back. Hey, Ben Simmons. Let's talk about Ben Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more.
0: And we're back, Brian. <laughs> um,
1: ben Simmons. So there are so many things that I could talk about here. Uh, I could quote Sham Sharania stories, Adrian Wojnarowski stories, Jake Fisher stories. Um, the The basic meat of it is everyone with the Nets was surprised that Ben Simmons could not play in game four. It seems like Ben Simmons, now there's this idea that Mental problems go hand in hand, if not supersede the physical problems. Mm. And that something that you and I talked about on this very show a month ago, if not further back, that mental issues, stress, not mental issues, but stress, can lead to back pain. It can be mental. And that is literally being reported. I credit you, Brian. Oh that thank is your you. take. Wow. I was too um, afraid.
2: You know, I credit you for giving me the, or for having the courage to take the take and then actually put it into the universe because because I I didn't want to use it but that's your take yeah, yeah, it's your take I appreciate it's your, appreciate your
1: authentically you. your take you're the back expert um I don't know uh I was almost I was just, in in our full honesty like I was gonna say I was gonna declare to the people of our pod that I would not talk about Ben Simmons all off season just because until I see him put on the Nets uniform and dribble the ball. On the floor during a regular season game, I you know he's not a reality. I don't think. But it's,
2: I don't think it's technically off season yet. We're in limbo because the season isn't over, so it's not the off season. Okay, so we're just we're just not playing. That's all.
1: Well, I did see. I think Alex Schiffer or Matt Brooks tweeted out that the Nets could technically start making trades now with other teams that are not in the playoffs. Really,
2: is that true? Yeah. So that maybe seems we get a, a weird, weird disadvantage. Trade in the playoffs. For, huh, interesting. Well,
1: yeah, but the playoff teams they don't care because what they you know what are they going to do? But um <laughs> got it. Losers. Uh yeah, we're getting ahead of the game. Um so you I'm sure you've read some of the reporting. Do you feel worse? <laughs> Do you feel worse? Dude, enough? I
2: That's I don't amazing. know why. Like I don't have Bensemans isn't in my He's not my Rolodex yet, okay? Like I don't have his number. He's not I'm not really considering him going forward. Like, he is a I think we also need to like recognize like he's a very damaged asset right now. Like there's in a many, many, many ways damaged asset. And, um, so yeah, it's a weird, we're in a weird spot right now because, uh, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what the future holds for this guy in any of the various iterations. Obviously I would love it. I do think on paper he makes a lot of sense as the often talked about connective tissue between Katie and Kyrie who, as we've talked about, and I think in this series specifically, it was highlighted that they have literally no chemistry together the 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 religion of bucket getting is a singular practice more often than not you know it's not a group it's not a group um you're not doing ohm chanting with with your friends you're off by yourself getting your buckets um which they do, and they take turns doing it, but there was no um there was a missing piece there, maybe a James Harden style piece or now a Ben Simmons style piece um, that can bring it all together. And I think that on paper it makes a lot of sense. There's lots of reasons to be interested, intrigued, slash even excited like about about that particular fit. Um, but again, I just don't know what to, what to make of this guy. I have no idea. I have no context. Uh, he, It's like he's like a, he's Kaiser Sosa. He's a notion. You know, he's is he real? Is he not? I don't know.
1: I mean, there's a couple of things that I, I feel like I can definitively state now that we've gotten to this point, now that the season's over and that Simmons never showed up for the Nets. State it, brother. Let it out. A lot of people have blamed Clutch, which is Ben Simmons's agency, for how they've handled the Simmons situation. And I really do think, it, you know, as much as people like to hate on Rich Paul, I'm going to guess the way he wants to run his agency. Like, he doesn't want a a group of players who don't play basketball. Ultimately, he would love if all of his clients were playing basketball. So, people have been attributing the reason why Ben Simmons has been so mysterious and not, you know, being out there on the floor to clutch. It's all Ben Simmons, right? Good and bad, it's all Ben Simmons. I guarantee Ben Simmons was telling the Nets, we've had some reporting of this, I want to play and I'm going to work to get back to play. And I guarantee he's telling Rich Paul and the rest of Clutch, I want to play basketball. I'll work my way back to play basketball. I want to play for the Nets. He may be saying all of those things, um, and yet they are all continually seemingly surprised by the fact that Ben Simmons doesn't play. I also think going back to the trade, we had talked about this pre-trade, and I said, you know, I wouldn't make the deal unless if I got really good intel from – probably Clutch, but any other sources, that I knew that if we if the Nets traded for Ben Simmons, that he would come back and play. Now, at that time, we had no clue about this back injury, right? This back injury maybe didn't exist, and maybe it's never existed, because we can get into the whole medical situation of that. of the Because typically, stress doesn't... I don't know if it causes herniated discs, and that's what we were told his back was. But I could be wrong. But going back to the trade, I think it's obvious... There was a ton of pressure on Sean Marks to make some kind of deal. I think it was reported either in Jake Fisher or Adrian Wojnarowski that the Nets essentially knew um, that if if Harden lasted past the deadline that he wouldn't play for the team. That like he basically was just going to sit out, which is a crazy thing for him to – if he had done that, he would become the biggest villain in NBA history just about. But apparently that's what they felt like was going to happen. So they made the trade, but – they did make this trade thinking they were going to have Ben Simmons play basketball, probably because Rich Paul told them that he, that Simmons would and Simmons didn't. So Sean Marks was played for a Mark. First mm. time that's ever got been him. said, got him, you know, and, and the nets, you know, are look, locally, like completely foolish. Can yes. I say
2: something? Um, so I'm looking at the, the new, so there's an opt out of the existing CBA uh, that has to be, um, uh, provided notice for by December 5th, 15th, 2022. I can't imagine a world in which the league ownership doesn't opt out of the CBA. The fact that this, we're in a situation right now where players are not playing the amount of games that they're not playing is like something fundamentally needs to happen. So this, this is all roundabout way of going into the fact that, um, you know, Ben Simmons is, uh, using legal levers to try to pry $20 million out of the 76ers. um, Conspiracy. Put on your. Do you have your tin
1: foil handy? I'm ready for it because I did want to. Yeah, I wanted to hear your full take on this. So,
2: um, I haven't gone deep into this, and it's you know this is why I have a tinfoil hat on and not you know my my legal pad um, on my head like a like a lawyer would would wear a legal pad on their head. Um, the, the situation there is that, so, you know, he didn't play game four, which for me, uh, was the biggest. Ben Simmons did not play game four against the Celtics. And for me, that was like the biggest white flag, um, like ever, basically that the Nets were like, we're either, either, either one of two things is happening, either well, or three things, if we're being honest. One, it's true that Ben Simmons is like authentically hurt and, you know, continues to be that way and so on and so forth. And that, that one extra day meant a big, that was transformative, which, okay, I don't know. Um, the other is that the Nets were like, this makes no sense. Here's the white flag. We're going to get swept anyways, probably even with you. So let's not like put it at any risk and like also just have you risk the humiliation of your, your one <laughs> game you played this season being in an exit, uh, an exiting fourth, um, fourth game of the first uh, round. Uh, and then the third, and this is where the tinfoil is going to come in handy, Mike, is that... Uh, It looks better in your legal case if you don't play that game. And I think it's very possible that if you're factoring in, it it doesn't have to be mutual exclusive. It could be parts of either of those three or all three. um, That I I think there is reason to believe that if he's actually trying to pry $20 million out of the Sixers, it looks better uh, if this thing, you know, goes, goes the distance and there actually needs to be some kind of litigiousness that's, that goes beyond just like, you know, um, going back and forth between league officials um, it, it will maybe be look better on paper to not have played this game because of your uh, of the consistency of your mental issues that you are claiming and that's the reason why you're owed this money.
1: yeah I, I mean I think it's very possible I mean it's been talked about a little bit right that this continual absence is related back to him trying to get that 20 million back from the Sixers. I just think there's been a change in tone of the reporting from those insiders, the Shams, Woges of the world, that like it feels like before the things that they were getting and the positive stuff they were getting were very much from Clutch and all that stuff. It almost feels like not that Clutch has turned on Ben Simmons, but even like Rich Paul and others pretty much confirm that. That like that everyone, that everyone thought that Simmons was gonna play well, and that Ben Simmons himself has made the decision that I'm not gonna play. I mean, think about, I
2: mean, think about it from the agents' perspective. The fact that Ben Simmons didn't play at all after the James Harden trade, and it was expected that he would looks really bad. Uh, surely there was some assurances behind the scenes of like, hey, like Sean, hey, Rich, is this going to be like, are we going to be able to play this guy this season? Does this because we're, we're doing this for short term success. There's a reason why we didn't trade James Harden back for like a bajillion first round picks. It's because we wanted to win now and Ben Simmons is on the table and ostensibly he should be able to play. Uh, so from an agent's perspective, now he's dealing in the dark arts of of hiding the fact that the guy's not going to play the season. That's what it looks like. At least like maybe he didn't hide it or not, but like on paper, that's what happened. You traded a lemon, <laughs> you know, rich. And that's, that's bad. That's a bad look for an agent.
1: Yeah. And, and rich Paul's an extremely smart, extremely smart guy. He's run an incredibly powerful business, but what is going to happen in about four years time, LeBron is going to retire and, and, and rich Paul won't have sort of the power of LeBron to, to also combine with his powers. His powers combined equal Captain Planet, right? Mm-hmm. They won't have, you know, Earth, fire, wind, water, and heart. Maybe they'll just have wind and water. And what do you got really there? You know, you need all five to make Captain Planet, ultimately. That's what that show showed me. Mm-hmm. And and so, the sort of the next generation of clutch athletes, the way agents accumulate power is by having the most number of superstars so that they can control... One, where those superstars go in the league. And also, as we've seen with Clutch in Cleveland, role players get big contracts, like Tristan Thompson and Contavious Caldwell-Pope, people like that, because they are Clutch clients playing with Clutch superstars, right? And it behooves Clutch and Rich Paul that Ben Simmons is in Brooklyn playing really good basketball, right? Because if he's really great on a great team, that just increases Clutch's Clutch's power, and – Ben Simmons is a young guy. I think he's still 25, right? Maybe even younger than that, 25? like that. And he, you know, Ben Simmons should be one of the stars of his generation of NBA players on some level. And him not playing basketball is bad for clutch. And as you said, it hurts their sort of, you know, agents lie all the time. I'm sure teams are used to that. Teams lie all the time. I'm sure agents are used to that. But a lie this big... And I almost don't even know. That's my thing. It's like now because of how the thing played out, and because all the reporting says everyone believed that Ben Simmons was either going to play in game three or game four. And then this back pain cropped up. And I don't want to lose the point that where the reporting now says that Simmons attributed some of it to a mental. This is what from Sham Sharania. Simmons told those in the room, meaning, you know, Rich Paul and the Nets. That a mental block exists for him, dating back in part to last season's postseason, which is creating stress that could serve as a trigger point for his back issues. Right. So, uh, all of this leads to Ben Simmons. I mean, it's just so. So for me, that, and
2: I hate to be cynical about this, but for me, like for him to like be like, we're in, here's the day. We're coming to the day where you might play. And in, and just to be consistent and like to be that vocal about his, like that, it's like, I have a mental block about this. That feels like something that's like, and I hate to be cynical about this, but having dealt with lawyers, that feels like a very coached response that you could be like, here, look, here's the, here's the timeline of this thing. And it was throughout the entirety of the season. So like, if there's any addendum in your contract, some like, you know,
0: that that allows
2: for this it is consistent throughout and there was not at no point did he waver off that point and even in the last day uh the last date of the season he affirms that I, for mental health reasons i cannot play um it would just look it's if there is a lawyer in the room looking at this it's very good for that person i'll say that
1: uh, so and you're operating from the belief the tinfoil belief right the theory that this is all part of I'm
2: just saying it's not worth it to him to to run out there lose that, you know, fourth game, even potentially hurt himself and then also have his case for that 20 million dollars which I'm sure he wants look that like be, you know, have a have a tiny little pinprick in it. Like why not have it just completely sealed up?
1: Yeah, so and like I'm not trying to disagree with you. I don't know if him not playing helps the case right fully. And and I will I will say this. I think what he is exhibiting Is kind of classic, someone with mental struggles is, uh, you know, to be honest, someone who says they will do something. And I will liken it to like going to rehab or, you know, saying I'll get a job or I'll quit this certain thing, right? Um, Those people who have maybe, so his mental struggle is playing basketball now, it's playing in a professional NBA game. (laughs) <laughs> right tough,
2: so it's a tough block to have for
1: his for his particular occupation that's a tough one so uh, i i will not try to get too personal but there's yeah. someone in my life who is an addicted gambler oh, okay interesting and i've heard I'm many times hear. you know they will stop gambling right and so they'll say after this moment i will stop gambling and so they you know everything seems fine that goal is being headed towards maybe they do stop and then they pick up gambling later again. And I'm not saying what Simmons has is an addiction. Cause it's actually the opposite. It's a withdrawal um, from basketball. He's the an anti addiction <laughs> to basketball. Is, this is
2: some true dime store therapy. I love it. <laughs> Simmons. <laughs> this is withdrawal symptoms from a lack yeah, so of the
1: epidural. That he, is he is a he is basketball celibate. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He is, he's, he is saying, cause what, what he's ultimately doing is he's telling everyone in his life. I'm fine, I'm excited, I'm ready, right? Like we heard the quotes in the locker room like before the Celtics series and like during the beginning parts of it was that like Ben Simmons is like Michael Jordan out there, right? Like remember that like like they were the insider sources were saying, plus players were saying that Ben has swagger. Right? He has this outward confidence about the way he was practicing and oh my gosh, when he comes back, you know, we're going to be a wrecking ball. Um Miley Cyrus great song. But The what Ben Simmons actually did was he told everyone he was going to come back, and then when he had to come back, when it got to that date, he crumbled again. And I, so I do think it's like kind of legit for him if he actually, I think, I mean, I think it's authentically he does have mental issues on some level what related to basketball and performance. I'm not
2: saying any of this stuff is mutually exclusive. No, I know you're
1: not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying, I, I think there's still a belief out there from some that, like, they're like, oh, these mental issues are fake. Mm-hmm. No, they are legit. Like, it's very unusual to operate the way that he's operated. It it, it Like, what would the end game be if he never played basketball again? The only reason why he wouldn't play basketball again is because he does have a mental problem with basketball. My fear, as I'm sure every other Nets fan feel, feels, and we'll, we're almost done with the show. We we'll almost wrap it up. But is that... When will he ever get over it? You know, and I made a joke on Twitter like the net should send him to Summer League. It's really not the – it's not the worst idea because if if it's simply stepping out onto the floor in an NBA-style game, mm. Summer League is a pretty soft landing spot compared to like – the start of the season, where he would be about the biggest story to start a season, is Ben Simmons going to play basketball?
2: He really, and he loves summer league too. He had that one amazing summer league when he's a rookie. It was the talk of the town, Mike. So yeah, bring him back.
1: So Anyways, I just I this, my whole entire sort of fear and sort of mo going forward into this off season because we're going to talk about so much fun stuff. Yeah. I don't know how excited I can get for Ben Simmons playing basketball for the team cuz like if he has a true mental block about playing when will like when when's a good time for him to get over that? Right. Tell me. Tough tough spot to
2: be in, Mike, but hey! that and so
1: much more.
2: That and so our much next, more.
1: I think so we have some really fun stuff coming up. We have Should we tell people what our idea yeah, is? Yeah. We're going to have an Irish wake. Yeah. For uh the next season, Des Lombardo our content extraordinaire. He thought of the idea. He's going to be on the show. Other people, other famous voices and friends of the show. Huge. Are, Matthew are McConaughey.
2: Matthew McConaughey will be there. <laughs> Huge names.
1: Um, they're going to contribute some thoughts. We'll do a fun show for that, and then we'll do some mailbag. And then all offseason, I mean, we're going to be doing Joe Harris fake trades, Ben Simmons fake trades. I will be doing that. Um, you know, Small ways to fix the team, big ways to fix the team. Um, free agency preview. I think the Nets are probably going to trade that first-round pick or something mm. so we'll do what can they trade that for oh. um if you hate the playoffs but love to talk offseason we're here for you love that love that for us mike at bk glue guys there's a there's a
2: fly there's a fly coming right for my eyeballs coming for for <laughs> like. bk glue guys on twitter discord gg slash glue guys um that's where the chatting happens um youtube smash the subscribe Hammerjack the like button um theathletic.com slash glue guys uh get behind that paywall um and you know get yourself a copy of the new york times on your way to the store mike we're out of here say goodbye
0: bye